Hi, welcome to another episode of the CTO to CTO podcast. Today's episode features Mihaela Mazenga, the Chief Technology Officer at Sharper Image, a Mac Alliance ambassador, a solutions architect, and a product strategist. Mihaela has recently led her team at Sharper Image through a full-blown migration from an enterprise monolith into a composable commerce setup. In today's episode, Mihaela and Piotr discuss the various operational, budget, and scale issues that stem from such a transformation from the perspective of the CTO of a highly customer-focused electronics, home and garden appliances platform. Tune in. Hi there. Today, my guest is Mihaela Mazenga, CTO of the Sharper Image. We're about to talk about all things Mac, uh, microservices, API first, cloud native and headless. Based on her first experience with the recent migration towards headless architecture. Hey, Mihaela. Thanks for accepting my invitation. <laughs> You're welcome, Piotr. Nice to, nice to talk with you today. And that's awesome. Maybe let's start with short uh, intro. So if you can say something about yourself and your professional career, that would be awesome. Sure. So um, I'm really relatively new to commerce. I spent 15 years in consumer benefit plans, mm -hmm. such as enrollment, health and wellness, um, really building teams and platforms from the ground up for wellness purposes. So learning management, health assessments, yeah. coaching services, um, integrating to wearable devices and health systems and, and EMRs, and really handled the, the team and the culture and the engineering and security and just, just all end to end. So recently, um, about three and a half years ago, I moved moved over to commerce mm -hmm. and uh, the, the rest is history as they say right I've moved over to, I've moved over to the dark side at this point gotcha so relatively uh, short in e-commerce uh, but doing really a huge project recently I mean the, the migration of sharper image to to headless sounds a little exciting and I will ask you you know a few few things about it uh, in a second, but first, could you give us a short um, intro about the company itself? Because um, maybe not all listeners are you know, close to what, what, what you guys are selling and uh, how the business goes. Sure. So I think Sharp Image, at least in the United States, has a really long, rich history as, as a consumer product company. But the you know, sharperimage.com of, of today was really reincarnated as, as digital only and digital mm -hmm. first. So we primarily operate on, on digital, though our catalog is a you know, massive marketing channel that we still utilize today. And, that, and that's maybe the older sharper image that, that people remember from, from the past. But it's, it's tech-oriented products. Um, it's lifestyle-oriented products. And, and again, we, we sell primarily through sharperimage.com. So it started as a catalog-based business, right? And then move online. Um, not just catalog, but but physical stores. Gotcha. So um, back when back when I was a child, I remember going to the Sharper Image store and sitting and playing with all the technology-based products. And it was this this neat place to go when you go shopping with your parents. Gotcha. That sounds sounds super interesting. Uh, when you joined the company, you said three and a half years ago, right? Uh, yeah. How the e-commerce was going, I, you know, technology-wise, maybe like it, it was on some, you know, uh, ready-made, you know, boxed platform, monolithic, or maybe it was fully custom-made. Give us some some background. Right. So I think to to no surprise, it was a um, fully 
boxed suite, mm -hmm. uh, monolith. And that was really, really different from the environment that I came from. So the environment that I came from um, was really niche SaaS. So yeah. everything, everything was custom. Everything was custom, yeah. Yeah. Now, that said, um, I also came from a very composable world. So to the point that you didn't have to custom build something, you could utilize a SaaS vendor was also very prominent. Mm -hmm. The problem back then was that there just weren't very many SaaS vendors that you could actually utilize. Yeah. So coming over to Sharper Image, it was it was very much a monolith. And mock aside, because we'll we'll get into I think how mock really came came to be within the Sharper Image. The goal was to move away and build something more flexible, um, really leaning into my experience from prior. What, what, what was the, the, the biggest problem, problem with the platform? Like the, this lack of flexibility you just mentioned or maybe high you know, maintenance costs or maybe a lot of you know, tech debt. What was the, the, the key you know, motivation? Yeah, so you mentioned business, right? So there's business problems and then there's technical problems. And, and at the end of the day, I think scalability is, is number one on a technical basis if you need to run at any level of scale. The monoliths at a certain point um, will no longer be able to facilitate the business. Gotcha. But, but on the business end, it was flexibility. It, it was saying, well, if we don't, if we don't like a, a feature within the suite, we want to be able to go with the best in breed vendor that can provide us the sub features that we want. Um, with yeah. For example, search or promo engine, whatever, right? And it was very difficult to change it. Right. Gotcha. So that was the, the, the key motivation. Uh, and how did you, how did you approach the, the architecture? Because as you mentioned with this Mac based architecture, you can, Pick and choose like whatever services you like, best of breed you know, products, but you need somehow to to pick them actually up, right? And how did you approach this uh, this problem, uh, assessing all those options you have on the market? Yeah, so this is this is very different, I think, from what others have encountered in the past and how they procure software. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of, you know, RFP and, and vendor management. And I think that the, uh -huh. the way that you get to that best is by forming a really clear statement of what you need out of it. And maybe not much more than that, because I think you can you can be future forward, but you also have to keep tabs on what it is that you need to need to accomplish right now, especially if you're under some sort of time constraint. So, mm -hmm. you know, building a really, really clear RFP and then going out to the market and, and seeing which, which vendors, I'll say vendors right now, um, can truly align with you as a partner. Um, keep in mind that, right, these, these are likely going to be probably three-year contracts with each one of these vendors and you may end up with five, maybe you'll, you'll end up with 10. So gotcha. it's, yeah. it's, it's a massive amount of vendor management and I think um, being a true partner within that relationship is key. You want somebody where you know that regardless of what their support looks like, you can pick up the phone and if you have an issue, they're going to work together with you to figure that out. So that was really key, key um, for me while mm -hmm, we were going mm -hmm. process on top of just the tech itself because there's there's a lot of great options out there. And, and of course, cost comes into that and, and cost should be one of the considerations 
So I think you need to like really narrow it down based on what your goals are and everybody's goals are going to be different. All the features they want are going to be different. I don't, I mean, it's nice to have a use case or it's nice to have a reference, yeah. but it, it doesn't go very far to what you're going to need to do. And, and in your case, what no, use cases or the business goals were the top, top three? The top three um, vendors that we went with? No, actually, the, the you know uh, you said that you need to set the, the top three goals, right? Like, I, for example, we have really poor experience with our previous search engine, or this is just example, right? Um, so, what were yours uh, three top three goals assessing the vendors? Because the next question I will ask you is uh, what, what actually vendors uh, you, you you decided on? Okay, so number one was truly whether they could operate in a headless capacity, and this is mm -hmm. on the technical end. Um, because we knew that by going for a headless solution, we would able to also accommodate the, the business goals through evaluating each vendor on, on a business level as well, whether the features match. Mm -hmm. So number one was, can you operate in a headless capacity? Gotcha. Um, number two, of course, of course, cost came into that. Right. So when you're moving from an enterprise monolith and now you're going to move to a very distributed space of many different vendors, um, I do think that you can get to the same cost or lower, but you have to be really intentional. That's and interesting. It can be even wide. higher, isn't it? But it could be even higher, of course, of course. So and, and those are right. It doesn't have to be a one to one. Yeah. Maybe you business issues that you can solve by adding new vendors that have nothing to do with saying we want to we want to switch out the core um, and I think those need to be slightly different initiatives and, and I think that they were um, for us certainly when it comes to to the front end and then in addition to the cost and the headless capacity honestly um, and and the mock ideals of, of the open architecture were important then for scale and i think it was really not very well understood when that was discussed with vendors mm. tell me tell me what your infrastructure looks like you know are you really running on pure microservices is it really you know an api driven approach and at one point i had somebody ask me why does it matter because it matters I need to know that for scalability purposes, now that we've combined five vendors together, yeah, I don't know what that's going to operate like in production yet, yeah. right? We're, we're going through this the first time now, and it's, it's really important that I know that you have these basics down. That's interesting, and I think that this is one of the reasons why Mac Alliance is uh, here to stay with us for, for, for longer. I mean, uh, I have this feeling that for the first time somebody, you know, uh, f f formulated the the principles of the of the true you know, Mac uh, compatible architecture. So that's right. that's really really good. Okay, so you you have those three goals. Uh, yes, it sounds super you know clear uh, and and you know uh, um, make a lot of sense. Uh, but where have you landed with with those goals in mind? Like we which um, which vendors do you choose? So I won't give you the, the specific names, but I'll tell you the components that, that yeah. we ended up with. So we ended up with a, a core commerce system yeah. that today operates the cart 
and the product information management primarily. Gotcha. We ended up with a separate search system um, due to latency that we discovered after we started implementation. Okay. Okay. And then in addition to that, we also ended up with a, um, a custom React front end that is also powered back by a back end for a front end. Okay. And, it was, and that was honestly really critical to the scale that we ended up needing. Um, I think what we learned through the process was that we probably introduced some latency in, in the orchestration of so many different APIs um, from, from different vendors. And how those things operate together in the front end is, is really critical to the experience. Now, we had made the decision that we wanted the back end for a front end concept um, moving into the implementation. And in hindsight, I think it was really, really critical to the overall success of, of the project. Okay, so you, you mean to have some kind of facade for the API calls to merge the data from different sources, something like this, and maybe to let it be cache or, or something? Yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. So uh, you are losing caching as well, probably, right, for, for this proposed to, to, to lower the yeah. latency. Right. That's, that's interesting. Uh, and there is no separate PIM, right? It's, it's the PIM from the commerce platform that you use. Correct. Okay, okay. That's, uh, that's cool. The next question I have on my list is um, what to, to, to build versus what to uh, just buy. And you actually answered this question already because from what I understood is that you, you build this front-end application, right? And you said that it's custom React. Um, and this backend for frontend probably is another thing you, you also built. Uh, is there anything else you, you feel that you know, is, is, is you know, adding value when you build it on your own rather than just uh, um, taking from the market? Right, so the, the backend for frontend is, is from the market. Okay. Um, now, so it's API gateway kind of product. Right. No, okay. Right. So here's here's the thing. I think it's hard to answer this question again because we had a very specific use case. Yeah. And what I observed through through the whole project was truly that I mean could easily go with an outsourced front end. Um, that one I think is really easy to to plug and play. It's it's basically a non-issue within the scope of the entire project. Yeah. That said, it's really order management. So okay. forget about the post the pre-order flow. It's it's all about post order. If say that depending on where it is that you're facilitating fulfillment and and post order and returns and order management, maybe that's in an in an ERP already today. And you're at the point where your migration really consists of all front end technologies, right? So you're looking at the front end, maybe you're looking at caching and a back end for a front end, and you're looking at this entire API orchestration that is purely front end driven. Well, in your case, then maybe the front end is the new back end. What, where does the back end even belong in that case if you need absolutely no custom coding? Uh -huh. um, and that was a really interesting shift in realization that, now granted, we had some specific needs on LMS that we had to custom build. But if that wasn't the case, 
if you're already integrated into a system that facilitates that for you, um, this can really be a lightweight move. And I think the type of engineer that's required to do that type of implementation versus building your own microservice layer is, is really quite different. So I think in what the team looks like, it's, it's going to be so different for, for each brand and each entity. And it's going to come down to whether you still need, need to maintain custom development or not. And in your case, this OMS part was already in ERP or you, you know, built it from scratch? No, that part we did have to build from scratch. Okay. Okay. To, to optimize the processes. Um, we didn't find a, a partner that was able to gotcha. really facilitate all the features that we needed. Gotcha. Yeah, that's, that's super difficult. You know, uh, I'm consulting a, a project from the uh, FMCG uh, industry um, at the moment, and they have the same, the, the same problem. Like if you compare all those, you know, um, uh, systems that there are many, right. The Fluence and, you know, other tools, really good piece of software, but always there is some, but, right. Yeah. We can use it, but. Right. Um, and this was the most surprising part for me. Um, being new to commerce and kind of when I when I got here and I assessed the the technical landscape, um, I think that the way that mock came into play and the visibility that the vendors have now that's really relatively new. It wasn't quite like this mm -hmm. three years ago. Yeah, and I was underwhelmed at the maturity at the time because if you're building a some sort of niche product of course that's understood you're going to need an internal team you're going to need a custom team to do that work but i'm sorry you know e-commerce isn't new and when i looked at how advanced the the suites were and and the features and how deep that they allowed you to go as an enterprise client it just wasn't there so I was I was really surprised by that because you know commerce is fairly well baked. The things that you need to do and to operate um, have been in existence for a long time. Of course, you need to get a package to a customer, and that's a finite process. And they might want to return that product, and that's a finite process. And um, it was really surprising what I found. That's interesting. I also had some uh, unpopular <clears throat> view on this uh, last week. I was I was talking with some. Some guy you know, working in this uh, e-commerce uh, for 20 plus years, and he told me something like, "You know, Piotr, this, this all you know, headless things. This this looks really brilliant and technically it's so cool, but it's a step back." And I was like, "What do you mean step back? It's a huge step back because when you compare the uh, feature set and uh, the, the readiness, uh, you know, you, you take this product and the readiness to the market, like how, how uh, quickly you can deploy it uh, comparing to, I don't know, demandware or hybrid, whatever, like platform before, uh, known before, it was, it's way longer, right? Because you need to pick those elements. You need to integrate them. They don't work, right. you know, together uh, out of the box. Probably it's going to change. Probably, you know, in the next couple of uh, years, I suppose, there are going to be a lot of starters that integrate all those things, like kind of Linux distributions, but for uh, Mac uh, products, so that the bundling phase will, will going to, you know, 
catch up at some point. But now we have the bundling, but this the bundling is right. it's 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 kind of step back. Do you agree? Is is something you observe with with you know building this product? I know this unpopular view, but um, so uh, as a as a as a total like opinion, um, I don't think it's a step back. Yeah, I think that uh, the, the the preface of mock. Right for me, maybe maybe it is more like you know a step halfway through. You know, no, and and I and I agree on both ends. Yeah, I do agree on both ends. So I think that mock as a technology standard. Let's, yeah. let's start there. I think is very well suited. Right, the ability for us to distribute business functions to the cloud that can be consumed by other organizations is absolutely the it's engineering have. approach. Yeah, it, is a must, it's must have. Okay? Yeah. So we'll leave that on the table. Yes. I think that that is, it should have been the future a long time ago. And, exactly. and I'm happy yeah. to see, and I'm happy to see that, that it's here now. Now, um, yes. It was the best architecture that, five years right. ago and the next time is the best <laughs> architecture is now. Well, you know, you know as well as I do, it takes a long time yeah. for things to mature in the market, yeah. regardless of how great the tech is. Yeah. Um, now, yes, I do agree. I know that people are hesitant to couple back, um, but there are certainly places where it makes sense, and there are certainly places where it brings a lot of pain. And if we look at if we look at the cart and payment services and taxation and now to, to rip those three things apart when they actually should have a relationship and it would be a lot easier if they had a relationship I think I think makes sense so um, I'm not for recoupling everything I think you have to really take a pragmatic approach to say well what makes sense and also listen to all of the organizations that are trying to implement this and are implementing it. And it actually doesn't matter what you or I think. If the masses are saying, hey, listen, we're having a really hard time with these two things and we really wish they would couple together, I think we need to listen to that yeah. and take steps to, to mitigate it. Absolutely, I, I agree with you. I think that the next step will be, uh, you know, uh, kind of festival of tools integrating different uh, Mac um, products. Uh, but as a kind of, you know, starter kit, uh, accelerators kind of, you know, maybe not, not messing with accelerator because it's well known from the previous uh, era uh, where it meant, you know, HTML copy paste and, and changes, not, not this kind of accelerators, I mean. Uh, but right. you know something that is uh, is letting you be uh, quicker to the market, but still leveraging this architecture. Because as I said, I think that is a must-have, but maybe it's not the final uh, word, right? Uh, how no. they implement it? Well, it's never. It's never the final yeah, word. It's right? never the final. It's always yeah. going to be something else. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's cool. Uh, so <clears throat> the natural next um, question should be how this uh, architecture you, you already implemented. Um, goes on on production. I mean, you know, you have uh, I don't know, few months or maybe more than a year of experience on production with this new new system, something like this, right? Right, right. So, so you can probably say, like, comparing the the maintenance cost, flexibility, how it compares to this uh, previous situation when when you are you know bounded up with with monolithical constraints. So I think that a the the scalability has 
absolutely proven itself. Yeah. And and take that in the context that, uh, of course, there are still a lot of organizations dealing with hopefully not on-prem infrastructure, but certainly there is that, or at least co-location. But you're you're dealing with physical, yeah. right? And to expand capacity in those situations is difficult and the things that keep you up at night are the servers failing every single night in that in that type of environment right yeah. <laughs> you're, you're just waiting for the email that one of the servers failed yeah. what it is yep and then you have to worry about waking somebody up in the middle of the night and that went away now immediately on, on release of course you still have that thought of how will this operate what does failure actually look like um, we have different different slas for for different pieces and ultimately i think the best partners are the ones that you never hear about yeah. meaning that the, the, <laughs> Absolutely, the yeah. systems are operating perfectly there's no need to mention their names and that really has proven itself here so the scalability and the resiliency and the reliability of this type of infrastructure of course naturally you've distributed it across many different vendors and of course they could still be powered by the by the same underlying cloud yeah still unless you have a, a massive outage um you're not really in the same situation that you were before and then and then flexibility and speed so regardless of you know internal process that it takes you to you know develop and, and deploy a new feature the deployments truly are instant. Mm -hmm. So you no longer have this whole long process of what deployment looks like and the speed to which you get a feature out in front of a customer. Gotcha, that makes uh, perfect sense. And you can deploy the features <coughs> separately, right? That's, I think that's super important. And with Monolith, there was always this struggle that even you know, minor uh, new feature, minor new release or upgrade of some library, whatever, requires you to deploy the, the whole thing, which is super stressful. Right. And I don't think um I don't think a lot of brands appreciate that. And and yeah. rightfully so. They probably unless you've been in, in a SaaS environment, right? I think that in a SaaS environment you absolutely understand the cost of a monolith, yeah. especially if you're dealing with multi tenant. So in a non SaaS environment, it generally takes a lot longer to learn that lesson. Or I think that you've probably learned it, but to, to understand the cost of continuing to truly do business in that manner. So, so yes, it, it allows smaller parts to fail, right? If you've, if you've released the cart, at least, you know, you can only break the cart and the shopping experience is still intact and, and that's hugely beneficial. Gotcha. Uh, last question. How uh, does changing architecture change the team structure, IT team structure on your side? So, I don't think that relative to the actual migration, it it required a lot of change. Okay. And what I like best is that using headless, you can really assemble the team as you need. Uh -huh. If you if you have an internal team and you want to continue using an internal team, you can. There's nothing here saying that, well, you, you bought onto a suite and now you need suite developers, <laughs> very specific, um, that are going to program on that platform. No, you just need 
regular engineers that, that understand cloud, that understand JavaScript, that understand whatever programming language it is that you want to use, and you can continue to do that. So you can choose to stay internal, you can choose to outsource, and I think whatever works for you, you can actually apply in this environment. Gotcha. Hey, that's, that's, uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, you know, whatever I ask this question, I usually uh, heard something like, yeah, we need more JavaScript developers because it's all JavaScript right now. Or, but you are totally right. It's, it's not the, that simple answer, right? And, uh, and, and you can, you can balance it as you, as you need, wish or, or could. So that's, that's good. No, and like I mentioned, if you if you are in in the position where order management is already being taken care of by an external system, then that's true. We are talking about JavaScript, yeah. a lot a lot of JavaScript. So yeah, yeah, so that, yeah. that that's a core requirement. Um, but what, whether you choose to outsource that or keep that in house, I think you're free to make that choice because you're no longer constricted to needing a developer, an engineer, a programmer that knows a specific suite. Um, now we are you know, back to just regular development and needing you know, a core team of people that can solve problems with technology tools. That's interesting. And uh, yeah, this is something that also people very often forget about it. I mean, when you compare the onboarding time for developers to platforms like Demandware or Magento or Hybris, it was significantly longer uh, because all the specifics this platform has internally and, and they needed to know all the details because whatever you make some change, you could potentially use some you know, prohibited way of, I don't know, uh, querying database or making easily some module uh, unupgradable, right? With some stupid change, right. you, you can prevent the whole platform from being upgradable, which is, which is disastrous, right? And with uh, with Mac, there is no reason like this. Like you just use the API, which is well described, and it's uh, closed, so you 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 cannot break it. Yeah, that that's super important. No, it is, and and I think that that can can certainly be a a cost reduction in in certain Absolutely. organizations, yeah. depending on how old and specialized the monolith that they're operating. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay, thank you very much for uh, our discussion. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, It was great. Thank you, Piat. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure you subscribe the CTO to CTO podcast on your favorite podcasting platforms. See you next week.